0: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network,
2: this is Outkick 360
0: with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad
2: you're with us across the Outkick network. John McClain will join us coming up. Crews all here today. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Loki moonshine. Aside from Super Bowl 56, and we'll we'll hit some of the headlines coming up with uh, McLean on that and some epic moments. Uh, Headlines across the NFL include Kyler Murray, who called, uh, uh, well, he didn't call what what was going on with the Cardinals nonsense. He says he's not about that nonsense, with all the rumors swirling and circulating. We've got some thoughts on that. Also, Carson Wentz and what his future may hold in Indianapolis or elsewhere, Uh, plus Deshaun Watson Uh, will be in the news at this time next week. We say hello to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, texassportsnation.com. He has covered the NFL for nearly five decades, and he joins us weekly here on OutKick360. John, hope you're doing well.
3: I am, guys. Hope you had a great trip to Los Angeles. I know you you look good, and I'm sure you sounded as good. You You always do when I'm on with you.
2: Well, that's because you're on with us. That That's the whole issue. You bring about, the energy, uh, that's John. You, you, get, you get us going every single time. You can follow John well, on Twitter. Well, I hope you miss me. At McLean underscore underscore NFL. It was not the same, John. We it was not the same you. without seeing you in person. That is for sure. <laughs> um, your thoughts on the finish to Super Bowl 56 and the play that Aaron Donald made on Joe Burrow.
3: Aaron Donald made a great play on third and one. First of all, it's second and one, and they go deep. I thought that was stupid. It wasn't even close. Third and one, they don't have Joe Mixon in there. Got Samaje Piran. They're back up running back. Boom, Donald stubs, And then on fourth down, Donald's all over Burrow, and he has to make a wild throw that came close. But I thought Zach Taylor, you know, he went for it on fourth down early in the game, cost him a touchdown. It was too early to go for it on fourth and one against a defense like that. I thought Zach Taylor – coached like a rookie Super Bowl coach and uh and it paid off for
1: the Rams well it's funny that you bring that up John about him coaching like a rookie coach because that's what we heard from Sean McVay all week that he made so many mistakes in that first Super Bowl and he tried to adjust the game plan late in the week and he had a completely different approach in this Super Bowl and even with that since then he goes on that 10-0 run And they're up 20 to 13. I'm thinking, boy, this really is a team of destiny with Cincinnati, even with some of the mistakes. What did you make overall of the game plan for the Rams? They stuck with the run for a while, even though it wasn't working. But then in the end, they just decided to say, let's give the ball to Cooper Cup and see if he can go win the game.
3: Well, first of all, Chad Lag, the guy who was the most relieved at the outcome was punter Johnny Hecker, the holder, because he botched that hold, which could have been catastrophic. And thing I like about Cooper Cup, people are not talking about, you know, he scored a touchdown on that out route and he got killed and a penalty wiped it out and then he scored anyway. So really it was almost like three touchdowns. He made some physical catches, the one across the middle on the last drive. I thought it was a great drive by Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. That's what great duos do. It reminded me, and I covered Cincinnati's first two, Super Bowl losses to San Francisco. Bengals have now lost three by a total of 12 points. And it reminded me of the after the 1988 season when Joe Montana and through the winning touchdown pass to John Taylor to beat the Bengals. And I felt bad for the Bengals, not for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Those guys are young. But for older players, plus Mike Brown, uh, whose dad, Paul Brown, founded the franchise, Mike was smart enough years ago to turn it over to his daughter, Katie Blackburn. And all of a sudden, they started spending money, even though they still have the smallest scouting staff in the NFL, and they still don't have an indoor practice facility. But as far as chance to go back, I don't think it's going to happen next year because the odds are against it happening with them or the Rams based on uh, recent history. But uh, I was happy for McVay. Rams are a class outfit. A lot of people don't like Stan Kroenke because he doesn't have any personality. He's rubbed a lot of people in the NFL wrong over the St. Louis uh, settlement that cost all the owners a lot of money. But Sean McVay and especially Matthew Stafford, he suffered in silence all those years with the Lions, went 0-3 in the playoffs and then went 4-0 in the playoffs this season.
2: John, who would you have voted for for Super Bowl MVP? And if it would have been Cup, how surprised are you that it, in fact, was Cooper Cup and not Matthew Stafford for an award that traditionally will go to the quarterback?
3: I'm glad that the 15 voters, and for some reason, and I'm totally against letting fans have a say so in any vote, whether it's baseball, Pro Bowl, Super Bowl, they have 15 people. And I've voted several times, and one of the problems is They want you to vote before the game is over. And I remember used to thinking, especially when Adam Vinatieri kicked the winning field goal, we'd already turned it in for Brady, and he went down the field, and it was too late to change it. So Aaron Donald's two biggest plays were the last two tabulations were already in. I had no problem with Cooper Cup, who made tough catches. Yes, Stafford threw the ball well, but I thought Cup deserved it. And if it'd been at the end of the game, I might have had a tie. It was shared once before in a Cowboys Super Bowl victory between Cup and Donald.
0: I refused to vote. I know uh, Lindsey Jones, I think, tweeted this that that uh, you know they were pressing her to vote, and she insisted on waiting till the end. She voted for Donald. She was one of the fifteen in this. I remember way back in, in uh, January of two thousand. I was fortunate to have a ballot. Uh, and, and wait I mean they they kept coming around and they kept saying the game I mean we don't know what's going to happen here um you know and kurt Warner was was the guy if the Rams won the game but uh, the Titans were driving to potentially tie the game I said if it goes to overtime how can I possibly vote in regulation for who wins and uh, they kept circling and I kept having a blank ballot in front of me
3: well, by, back then, you know, like you hand it to them on a sheet of paper and you still do it. It's not necessary. If you have 15 voters and they have it on email, they push a button when the game's over and one person looks 15 and they're able to tabulate it. And they call down to the field while they're still down there celebrating. Then there's plenty of time to grab somebody. You could tell the five candidates. If you look at the people on the stage, you had Aaron Donald, you had Matthew Stafford, Jeb Cooper Cup. You knew one of them was going to get it, so it would have been easy. And I, I just, I think it's time because of what they're able to do now. They need to overhaul that system.
0: Retirement talk for Sean McVay and for Aaron Donald here uh, seems to be the fashionable thing to do uh, when you when you finish on top. What do you think the likelihood is for either of them? Zero,
3: Sean McVay. You know what's the point of saying we'll see? I tell you what it is. We'll see the money, the Benjamins. And as far as Aaron Donald, I think it was Rodney Harrison who said on the pregame show Donald might retire, and then he wouldn't put uh, he wouldn't throw water on it. But you know he's going to be back at three and one. He's one of the greatest defensive players in history. I heard somebody on ESPN say he's the greatest ever today. I'm thinking, did you watch Raging White? And or Lawrence Taylor, Taylor, who are two greatest defensive players I've ever seen. And he's close behind, but I don't think he's going to retire just because he's at the top of his game. How many people actually do that? The great Jim Brown, as great a player as I've ever seen, he retired early because Art Modell, the new owner of the Browns, told him, You get off that movie set and come back here right now or you retire. And Jim Brown was filming The Dirty Dozen. And he said, Okay. I retire, and he did.
2: I think that's a great example of Donald and why he would. Um, I'm not saying he's Jim Brown, but people consider Jim Brown to be the greatest football player we've ever seen play the game, and he, re- he stepped away early with a lot left uh, uh, to, to play for. And Donald, if you believe those who were there whenever he was drafted and those that have coached him recently, they say that he, he had two major goals, Pro Football Hall of Fame and a Super Bowl. And he achieved both of those, and they, they say that he would pass up the like fifteen to seventeen million on the table next year, to call it a career at that point. And I mean, I, I he's not the greatest defender of all time, but it's not like we spend off seasons debating the best defensive lineman in, in football history. Uh, we'll leave that to the quarterback debate for the lazy sports talk show hosts. But if you're uh, John, if you're if you're Aaron Donald, aside from money, what more do you have to prove?
3: because you love to play the game. They play the game for money, and then they play the game to win, and they play it for camaraderie. And If you see every guy who's retired, they always tell you that's what they miss, the camaraderie with their teammates, the competition. They don't miss having to work hard every day like they do. They don't miss practice, although some guys love to practice, and I'm guessing Aaron Donald is one of those guys that does love to practice, but I'll be shocked if he's not back,
2: John, uh, and I, going back to McVeigh, I found it interesting that this has been kind of an underlying topic with him going to TV, and and that he's you know he's giving he's not if if we asked Belichick for instance after a Super Bowl or going into a Super Bowl how he would weigh life and football and coaching and family he would answer that in about six seconds. And, and Sean McVay is giving an answer that lasted 96 seconds on Friday. And the fact that he's entertaining it, and the fact that I, I think people are throwing his name out there, we're not throwing Mike Tomlin or Mike Vrabel uh, or Kyle Shanahan. I mean, we can go through the list of coaches that are around the same age that have a lot left on the on the table and before they even win a Super Bowl. We're not throwing their names out there for TV contract, but we are with Sean McVay, and he's entertaining it. I find that interesting because I think we know the answer we would get with certain coaches if we asked them the same thing.
3: Well, I'll just bet you, Jonathan, he's back with a huge new contract extension, making him one of the highest paid coaches, which he should be. Right. Considering he's been at two Super Bowls in five years.
2: Well, he will He will get the extension. I would argue with you he can make $5 million more than
1: that extension in TV next year.
3: He might be able to, but those coaches – love coaching and just don't bet on it.
1: John, how many times have you been surprised? Because it's an interesting topic with the possibility of retirement, because McVay is one of the last people that I would think would hang it up coaching early. And he hasn't done that yet, but I bet you would, people would have said the same about John Madden when he was 42 years old, about Bill Cowher, about John Gruden, you know, some of these guys who seem to live for it, sleep four or five hours a night. They're always around the guys. They're always thinking about football. Um, but uh, I guess how many times have you been shocked to see something like that happen? Because you're right. Most everyone associated with the game, they can't get enough of it. They always want to be coaching.
3: The first was Dick Vermeo when he was with Philadelphia. He retired because of burnout, went into TV and of course came back and coached the Rams and the Chiefs. Madden retired after 42 years. That caught everybody off guard. There's no speculation People thought he would come back. He had job offers to leave at 42, but I've never heard McVeigh talking about burnout or sleeping at the office. He's about to get married. He's got a great house overlooking the ocean. He'll want to have a family, but you know, if he wanted to go in TV, of course he could. Then he can come back to coaching, but you think about every coach out there and how many have retired unexpectedly, very few.
2: John McLean is with us. The best at breaking down the NFL headlines with us weekly. Um, You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. When we come back, we'll get John's perspective on the Cincinnati Bengals uh, getting that close with this young team and the nucleus they have in place. Clear areas where they must improve this offseason, and the path now in front of them. And we we know John says maybe not next year, but he can see a path for them getting back. But What must be done between now and the next playoff run for Joe Burrow to find that success on the biggest stage? That and a lot of quarterback discussion with uh, Carson Wentz, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, and more. That's coming up on Outkick 360. We are with John McClain of TexasSportsNation.com and the Houston Chronicle. He joins us on Tuesdays. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine in downtown Nashville. Uh, John, Odell Beckham Jr.'s contribution to the Rams cannot be understated here. They, they, they sign him as a free agent in November. Things progress over the final two months of the season. And then once the postseason rolled around, Uh, he, He impacted that offense in a great way.
3: He did. He scored touchdowns. I felt terrible for him. Watching him cry after the game when he was celebrating was such an exhilarating feeling to see. If you think about these guys that go from teams that aren't going anywhere to a team that has a chance to go to the Super Bowl, it really is like a new lease on their football life. Remember, they traded for Sony Michelle in preseason. He left them in rushing when Cam Akers was supposedly done for the season when he ripped his Achilles tendon, and he made the quickest comeback in history from an Achilles injury. But Sony Michelle was a good addition along with Von Miller. They, I tell you, Les Sneed is the general manager, and he makes those deals. And of course, Sean McVay will sign off on him. But I did a column with Wade Phillips who was them with them in 17, 18, and 19 as Son West, coaches tight ends, going with Kevin O'Connell to Minnesota. And he told me about the way things worked like that, worked there. And uh, Les Snead has been there with Jeff Fisher. You know, he's kind of the unsung hero. They were both on board with that philosophy of being all in. And as Wade pointed out, it just didn't start with Von Miller and uh, Matthew Stafford, they were doing that with Indomitian Sue. They did it with Jalen Ramsey, and it worked. And it worked for the Buccaneers last year. So will we see other teams that think they are two or three veterans away give up those number one picks for a chance to do what the Buccaneers and the Rams have done?
2: John, the two cool stories, and there are multiple uh, stories um, from from both teams. But Andrew Whitworth – at 40 years old at left tackle, winning the Super Bowl against his former team. And Eric Weddle, uh, who joins the the Rams January the 12th and in the Super Bowl, plays every snap, just like he did in the championship round. He wears the green dot. He's calling the defense from the safety position. Your thoughts on both players finally getting their Lombardi trophy?
3: And Weddle suffered a torn peck and put a harness on and finish the game. That was what blows me away. Most guys that are out of football for two years, they're drinking a lot of beer. They're living it up because they know they're not going to play again. But for him to come in at 37 on a moment's notice and then all of a sudden start playing, I'm guessing he'd been working out like a fanatic. And Andrew Whitworth, the oldest tackle in history at 40, uh, he made it pretty clear when he won that NFL man of the year award and had such an incredible uplifting speech and and accepting the award, he sounded like a guy who's ready to be a daddy and a husband to his four children. And uh, the Rams got some big shoes to fill to replace big wit, as they call him. And think about how cool that was for him. He's with the Bengals for 11 years and to be able to beat his former team with some of his friends, still in the organization and on the roster was meant so much to him. Whitworth's one of those guys, if he wants to go into TV, he can. If he wanted to go into politics, he can. He's just widely respected by everyone.
2: And, Paul, he's part of their whole story this year because Andrew Whitworth is the player who introduced McVay to Stafford
1: in Cabo,
0: yeah, when they coincidentally happened, uh, <laughs> happened to be there
1: wasn't planned at all. Yeah,
0: just uh, accidental. It happens. There's so many. There's so few places to go on vacation. <laughs> um, you mentioned the Bengals. You know, you'd like them to get back. Probably not next year. I thought people did a pretty good job of of you know saying yeah, you know, it's a good young team. But you know, remember Marino didn't get back. Aaron Rodgers won his, but he hasn't been back. Um, it's awfully hard to get back, no matter how good and young y- your your team is. Um, and, and Burrow smartly talked about, you know, having heard, I can't remember who specifically it was, but the failure to savor uh, the success of having gotten there um, and beating yourself up over losing the game. That He wasn't going to make that mistake for too long. He wanted to, to savor the success of the team. Yeah. Um, just how big a challenge is it for a guy like that to, to get back off of all the history you've seen, John, and all the guys you've seen fail to get back?
3: One thing, Paul, is this. You would think the Super Bowl loser would be the hungriest team in the league. To get right there on the precipice, to getting a ring, getting that $400,000 or what do they get now, that would make you hungry. It would make the organization hungry to make the right changes, but it just doesn't work. You know, worked four years in a row for the Bills. Since then, Patriots once, and that's it. No team has repeated as a champion since the Patriots after the 03 and the 04 season. So it's hard. I could see it being tough for the winner. Banquet circuit. You know, you do a lot of partying and celebrating. And, you know, you sometimes subconsciously relax a little bit, whether you think you are or not. And I saw a great column on the Internet about Bill Walsh. And how you approach that after their first one over the Bengals. And you can talk about it all you want. Sometimes I think that's another reason I look at what the Patriots, done, and it's why they're the greatest dynasty in, in NFL history because they were able to do it year in and year out. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Bengals back in a couple of years. But if they don't fix the pass protection, Burrow, third sack counting playoffs, third most sacks in history after David Carr of the Texans and Randall Cunningham of the Eagles, and he left the stadium beat up. They have got to make moves to improve the protection. It starts with the offensive line. They need to do something at tight end, but he can't take, at his age, another beating like that.
0: So we've talked about a lot of the quarterback movement to come and a lot of the potential quarterback movement to come. Chris Mortensen makes it sound like – uh Indy's really out on, on Carson Wentz. Now I I love a team being out on a quarterback. That's not good enough. It's very rare to see it happen without them having the alternative in mind or in place. Uh, how, just how out on them can they be before they know what they're going to do?
3: Well, they may, that may or may not be true. We see a lot of reports that turn out not to be true and it wasn't like he had a terrible season. What he had like 27 touchdowns, nine interceptions. And if they already know they want to move away from him, it's got to go beyond touchdowns and interceptions. How many good teams do you ever see have five different quarterbacks in five consecutive seasons? Not often, and they pay dearly to get Carson Wentz. So I'm not saying for sure. he got a lot of money coming. I don't see anybody trading for that contract, so would they just out-and-out cut him? If teams think they want to trade him, they're not going to give him anywhere what they believe is worth. So that'll be something to pay attention to as we get closer to the start of the new league year on March 16th.
0: Base salaries a team would be inheriting if, for some reason, they traded for Carson Wentz, 22-20-21, and that's with some – additional bonuses on top of that, Hunt.
2: Um, but from what I've read, it's a very tradable contract. I mean well, of, of tradable the, if of you the, want to take that money. Of the base money. Um and I, I bet there there would be a team with a young quarterback that would bring in Wentz as either the bridge or the, the guy to to be the, the quote unquote backup but compete. Um, but I, I, don't, John, at this point, I don't know how you look at wins in a trade and think, you know what? We're trading for our future starter. That's, that's not happening.
3: You don't make a guy you're, he, you're his third team in three years Yeah, who has the kind of talent he has, but that contract really for quarterbacks today. If you're good, 22 mils not that bad, but man, if you take him after Frank Reich wanted to get rid of him after one season, after he was so high on him. Considering they've been together in Philadelphia. So it just has got to be something percolating below the surface on Carson Wentz.
0: Yep.
1: What type of team should go after Jimmy Garoppolo, John? How how do you see him right now in this league?
3: Boy, Chad Lack, it's got to be a team that uh, is willing to put up with a quarterback who will make a bad mistake at the worst time. But I would think a team like Washington, maybe Pittsburgh, those teams are not going to be in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes if he reaches settlements with his 22 accusers. Washington's had too many issues along those lines. There's no way they would make the trade for him and then get bashed by fans and media for a few months. Pittsburgh just doesn't seem like it. So I would think those two would be the most likely.
2: How about Miami with Mike McDaniel?
3: And maybe, but he's sure saying a lot of stuff about Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Maybe he thinks his ego needs to be built up. I know this about Deshaun Watson. You know, he exercises his no-trade clause. only place he'd go was Miami with Brian Flores gone. And even though the owner, Stephen Ross, wanted him, if they can prove that Stephen Ross offered Brian Flores money to tank then he may end up losing a couple of number one draft choices, and that not, might not be the place to go unless you just want to go live in a mansion on the water, which was one reason uh, Watson wanted to go to South Florida.
2: John, I know you loathe the the Watson discussion, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a week from today is his deposition date. Is that still the case?
3: Yep, and he's got to uh, sit still over a period of days, I believe, for 42 Hours, people are saying, man, he should reach settlements. If he didn't reach settlements before he could get traded to Miami, why would he do it now? Now his new base salary kicks in next year, thirty-five million compared next season compared to ten point five four million last season, and uh, the Texans want to trade him. I think it'll go up to the draft on April twenty-eighth, but nobody's taking him with that kind of baggage, legal baggage that he has. And somebody said, well, Tampa, they'll take anybody. And they will take anybody. But uh, I don't see them trading them to him because they don't have a lot to offer. The ones that I tell people, Philadelphia made him an offer last year. Uh, He rejected it. Then, of course, Miami, they had a deal worked out, the trading deadline for three ones, a three and a five spread over three years. Don't know if they'd be interested. But Denver and Carolina were two of the teams that were the most interested. Carolina as the sixth pick in the first round, and of the teams that I think will be interested, that is the one with the highest draft choice. Now, if the Giants were interested in Watson over Daniel Jones and would give up one of those top six picks and they'd have to give up more in the future, I could see that being a destination, but they haven't given any indication they're interested in the owner. John Mara told them no.
1: Sean, is it safe to assume that silence on the Deshaun Watson story means that his attorneys are negotiating a settlement with the attorneys of the accusers right now, and that's why we're not hearing anything?
3: Chad, like people have been saying that for eight months, silence means they're working on settlements. It couldn't, it could not. I've not heard anything. We just assume because the depositions are coming up, all the women were deposed already, that that might lead to a settlement. I think what might help him reach settlements and 18 of the 22 had agreed before the deadline and four held out now is accused him of sexual assault and sexual misconduct which means any team taking him is just going to be blasted at first his accusers they know his money's going up from 10.54 million to 35 million So maybe they ask for more.
2: And then the timeline of this deposition a week from today, that is uh, under oath uh, with the prosecution. Um, And then after that point, if there's no settlement, I believe the trial based on the timeline of late last year begins in May. So it's hard to see anything trade worthy coming about unless we see those settlements, right?
3: Well, if he he reaches a settlement... The general thought is the police investigation will go away. And the thought I'm told is Roger Goodell may say, well, you know, he missed all last season. That's punishment enough. And they'll let him play. But teams aren't worried about it being suspended because I don't know any team that thought, okay, however long it is, he's going to come back and play another 10, 12, 15 years. And But the thing that they didn't want to put up with was the uncertainty over the sexual misconduct and sexual assault charges, when you have 22 basically telling the a diff, the same story, but 22 different accusers, and I've read those lawsuits now three times, and there's some serious allegations in there.
0: Kyler Murray says all of this nonsense is not what he's about. Uh, the The way I see it, all of this nonsense is what he created by altering his social media accounts. Is he actually this immature that he creates the nonsense and then denounces the very nonsense that he created?
3: Not a good look for Murray. People here speculate his daddy, Kevin Murray, has got to be behind it because Kevin Murray was so active in his career when he was at A&M, went to Oklahoma. He was a quarterback himself. But i tell you what, Murray's made himself look really immature.
2: Well, there's, uh, there's talk that um, uh, Mike Garofalo uh, reports that Murray in the blowout loss to the Rams wouldn't go back into the game in the fourth quarter. Like he was just fed up with the the game plan at that point. And I, I, I agree with him. The game plan was horrid, like terrible. I put that more on Kingsbury than I do Kyler Murray based on what they were doing in that game. That being said, John, part of the nonsense is also the Arizona Cardinals who the minute that Murray scrubs his account and they haven't had any discussion about the future, none, they immediately go, not on the record, but to media members the day before the Super Bowl and off the record, then say all of this selfish talk and all of this leadership stuff that, if if true, would have been out there throughout this entire time. They're feeding and fueling the nonsense as well, and if you want to trade a guy, that's not the way to do it
3: once again, that was a Chris Mortensen report. That may or may not be true. We don't know. I've been here now since I was around him, not around him, but I knew about him since he was in high school. And they all, a lot of people thought he was immature and self-centered. And the fact that he's got the Oakland A's that he can go to where he was a former number one pick, this sounds all about money. He wants an extension. Uh, he wants a lot of money. And they're not willing to do that right now. They'll pick up the fifth-year option in may and let him play another season and uh they say that cliff kingsbury lets him get away with a lot behind the scenes and maybe they better clamp down but if it's all over money it's going to be very bitter and uh but they're not going to be forced into giving him 40 million a year any more than the browns were forced to do that with baker mayfield
1: and john you know the situation much better than i do i've never watched kyler murray and thought oh, this guy doesn't get along with his teammates or he doesn't play hard or, or whatever you know is being said out there, that there's some divide between him and his teammates. But I'll also say it was his nonsense that started the talk of him coming on Instagram saying, I'm not about the nonsense. Kyler That's Murray's nice. smart enough to know when he strips all Arizona Cardinals mentions from his accounts that it's going to get people talking. And then there's no explanation of that. I, I'm I'm even more confused after he came back and said, Ask my teammates, I'm not about that nonsense, because he didn't clarify why he took everything down. So either you're right, it's about money, and he's trying to get paid, or this is Cliff Kingsbury versus Kyler Murray right now. And Cliff Kingsbury's talking to Chris Mortensen.
3: I don't think this is Kingsbury. Kingsbury is a player's coach. I think this would have to be all about the money. It's always about the money, especially when a quarterback is in a situation that he has. I know three, four, five players have been on that team. I'll speak highly about him as a as a person, as a player. Gives his all all the time. You know he'll take hits and everything else. And this is all about money. And I'm sure his agent Eric Burkhardt. Uh, I'm sure that I would think that Kyler Murray would go to Eric Burkhardt and say, "What do we do?" Before I do this, knowing it was going to create a huge controversy they're not stupid they don't think okay duh we did this now this is happening what are we gonna do it's part of their strategy and just it's remember it's always about the money
2: there's some smoke there for sure um beneath the surface brewing it and uh it, it does have a bit of um because the uh, Kingsbury and Murray are are, are they they're married to some extent they came in together uh they they get rid of Rosen they they draft Kyler Murray in 2019 here in Nashville on Broadway. Kingsbury, the new coach, they went into year three and then they collapsed down the stretch the same way they have the previous couple of seasons. John, it's um, it's interesting because it, it has a bit of a feel of Jeff Fisher, Vince Young at the end, where it was you know it one guy, you, both you, you felt like both were going to stay or be gone, and then there was a split where there was clearly. One guy who wanted to stay and one guy who was out. Ultimately, both guys left, but that wasn't until a couple of weeks after Vince was out the door.
3: Well, Vince is never as productive as Murray has been. And remember from that first training camp when uh, Vince was benched against Washington in preseason, he tested Jeff Fisher along the way. And Murray hadn't done that with uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff is the one taking a job, insisting on getting Murray when nobody else thought he was worth the first pick. and turned out he has been. And I That's why I look at it. It's Steve Kime and the con Michael Bidwell and the people that determine the money. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't do that. And now I can't wait to see how it plays out because I'm sure people out there are going to try to turn it into Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. And Wilson's never gone anywhere, and I expect Rodgers will never go anywhere. He'll get a big contract extension. Because remember, this time last year, Rodgers' agent went to – uh, no, it was before this went to green Bay, tried to work out an extension. They couldn't, as soon as he left, it linked out to Adam Schefter that he might not be back. And it lasted all through the off season because it was all about the money.
2: But see, I, and you know, better than I hear, I, I think Murray and Vince are very similar. Both are offensive rookie of the years with the minute. They're in the league, high draft picks. They've been in the playoff one time each. This is Murray's first playoff appearance. Um, And they're tied to their head coach, like it or not. And there's clearly a rift there.
3: Well, the difference was Jeff Fisher didn't want Vince Young and Cliff Kingsbury went all in to convince them to take Murray. And Vince knew Jeff didn't want him when he drafted him because, as Bud said, V-Y is my guy.
0: John, uh, as we left L.A., we were talking on the plane ride home just about how many people asked us, what is John McClain's next acting venture? Um, so, I want to give you opportunity here. Just uh, we didn't have answers. It's 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 a very mysterious thing. One man play. Yeah. What what is your next Hollywood project?
3: No Hollywood projects. I talked to Wade Phillips when he was out there. He went out to see his. He and his wife Lori went to see their daughter, who's who's in the entertainment business, and they were getting ready for the game. They went to a movie, and when he called me when he got back to the hotel. I said, what did, and I, I told him, I said, what did you go to see? And, um, my mind's gone blank. What's the lady Gaga Adam driver movie about, uh, oh, the, uh, uh,
1: Gian- the Versace's.
3: Yeah. No, no, not the Versace's Gucci. Gucci. And yeah. So, one, one of the, yeah, two. So <laughs> he close
1: said, to the Italian house of family.
3: Gucci. That's what it was. Yep. The house of Gucci. He said, we went to see house of Gucci. I said, how was it? He said, well, I looked in there to so thought you might be in it. I said, you missed me with my Italian accent. He said, Were well, you really in it? I said, Of course not.
1: You were Jared Leto. I think he was also in that movie. A really yeah, good job of transforming.
3: Unrecognizable. Yeah. He was a, I was Lady Gaga.
1: John, can you give us
2: the 60 second Cliff Notes version of how Houston ended up with Lovey Smith?
3: They uh had six interviews they did. They had three finalists Josh McCown, Brian Flores. And Jonathan Gannon. They were set to hire Josh McCown. They were getting blasted by everybody locally. I mean, it was just 24 7. And Lovey Smith, as his associate head coach, had been involved in the search, helping them check people out, calling sources and friends. And so then they're like, whoa, we better reevaluate this. And when they're looking around, they see Lovey. And Lovey, who, if he takes away his first year in Chicago, he's 24. Games over 500, Super Bowl coach of the year. Then he goes to Tampa 2-14, and plays Jameis Winston, improves by four games, and gets fired. And as he told me, I got unfinished business as an NFL head coach.
2: John, always great to have you on the show. Great insight, analysis, takeaways from the Super Bowl. We always look forward to this each and every Tuesday. We appreciate you.
3: Jonathan, Paul, Chadillac, I miss being out there with you guys. Maybe there's a chance I'll be out there with you next year. Thank you for having me, and have a great rest of the week.
1: Chip, Chip Namia says hello yeah, too, John. Chip
2: says hello. Thanks, we'll so. save you. A, we'll save you a seat in Arizona next year for sure. John McLean, there. Uh, follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Um, John would have loved. He's probably been on the backstage backlot tour of Universal Studios. We had the chance to do that uh, this past Friday evening. And we've got some insights, some takeaways from that tour that it just fascinated us. Uh, some bullet points when we return of the behind-the-scenes look at Universal Hollywood. That's next. Now, kick three sixty. One of the cool things we were able to do while out in Los Angeles was the back lot tour at both universal studios and Fox and the universal studios uh, party was excellent where the the media party, all media had access to this on Friday night. They closed down the park and you could do whatever you wanted, ride whatever you wanted. But they also offered the, the back lot tour, which lasted about an hour and, you know, I, I think I went into it thinking that we're going to drive around and see all the buildings. It was so much more than that. Um, I
0: history don't know about le- you guys. History lesson.
2: Yeah, it was a history lesson of, of filmmaking uh, with a, a, a view of Hollywood in the distance. Um, I don't know what your big takeaways were there, but the scope and magnitude of that place, it, it's, it's like Augusta. You cannot do it justice by showing it on TV or describing it on the radio You've got to go and see it for yourself. Chad, you're
0: a movie guy. You go last because you're a Dennis Leary movie guy. Scope is the word that you hit. So I I did this tour in the early 90s when my brother was working um, for Disney out there. Um, But I I wasn't even remembering for sure until we saw the Psycho House. So a a lot has changed. The two things that struck me uh, were super cool was that they paint something from the most famous thing that's gone on in a, in a certain uh, studio there. Young Frankenstein is a favorite of mine. I took a snapshot. And that's at Fox. Oh, Fox. is that at Fox? Yeah. Okay. But they do that at the others too. They uh, list it or, or paint. But at Fox, I thought that was really cool. Young Frankenstein was in one of the lots there. The the one that impressed me in terms of scope, and uh, was this, a, you, you'll remind me if this is at Fox or at Universal, was Titanic.
2: That, that was also at Fox. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that 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 the drowning scene at, at the end of Titanic took place in one of those buildings. That they filled a tank in there. I mean, that is massive in scope if you think of the end of that movie with that ship going down. And that they could splice together that huge ship, which is obviously somewhere off lot, and then take it into a smaller building, a gigantic building, uh, albeit, but have a tank in there and have that drowning scene that took place right there. I just I think the scope of it's un- unbelievable.
2: Chad, they, they on the Universal lot, they had the the Jaws uh, set. And then the, the thing that was cool was, and it's not a good movie, War of the Worlds. Um, but they had movie. the set in place with the actual 747 that they purchased just to destroy.
1: Yes, they purchased a 747 to destroy it in the scene where the 747 falls into a suburb the whole idea was i want to see a plane just fall flat from the sky into a suburb that could be anywhere in america that was awesome Toured fox sports also and my big takeaway was when you see you know the fox sports uh, the football sunday show or the college basketball coverage you think i bet that's in a really tiny studio but it looks big no it's really big Uh, We went into both studios, and they were a lot bigger than I expected. When you get inside those studios, really cool to see that. Um, I would highly advise everyone: if you go to Universal, don't worry about the tour being an hour. I was so happy that we did that tour. Yeah, because that if we did not do that tour, and then I heard about it, I would have been very upset. Uh, Seeing the Bates Motel from Psycho, Jurassic lit up the Jurassic Park area. They they, have um, they have inside a a subway. They do a Fast and the Furious type thing uh, where it's a all virtual reality, sort of. What was video the, screens next to you? It's really neat.
2: What's the Bird movie uh, with the blindfold that was filmed in the forest? Birdland. Bird, there. Bert, No, not bird, bird, Box. Bird, Box. bird Box,
1: Yeah. With uh, Sandra Bullock. In yeah, the woods, so, right there. Yeah. Well, it's it's cool too because not just the big things, but you know anytime you see a CSI that's being shot and there's a dead body found on a hillside, that's that hill. Right there. We've had many bodies <laughs> discovered at the start of an episode on this hill right here. It's it's really cool. My wife to see and I watched The
0: Good Place lately and that little town setting is is right there. You know, that outdoor well, town uh, that they could change point. into any outdoor
1: town. Yeah, all the New
2: York scenes are filmed there in LA.
1: Well they go through a New York scene, they show Bruce Almighty and Jim Carrey on the screen they say, Look to your right, does that look familiar? And it's Jim Carrey walking a dog into a grassy area and it's right next to you. This is where they shot it. Uh, the the clock tower, clock tower from, from back, back to the, the future, future is the most famous. They had to put a new facade over it because it became so iconic that every movie it would have been in, everyone had said that's the clock tower
2: from oh, Back to the Future. Speaking of towers. Ryan
1: Albany's by the way, is just drooling over there. Here speaking of, of towers, here the
2: Fox lot in the backdrop is the diehard backdrop. Yes.
1: And, and then Tommy, we were in Nakatami the, Plaza. In the
0: huge Fox production studio uh, where he was talking and showing us a lot of things. One of our bosses... Uh, I was watching, trying to get every second I could of Chelsea winning the Club World
2: Cup. Spoiler alert there for you. You needed that.
1: Congrats to Chelsea. And the fall.
2: Coming up, headlines of the day, including a game you need to watch tonight in College Hoops. Kick 360 rolls (laughs) on.